Wow, we've been uh, praising all night the return of a leader of men, a champion of all causes, the effervescent, the king, the master of ceremonies, ringleader, bass fisherman, beer drinking, barbecue specialist, genius, talented, entertaining, the return of serve, the return of glory, the return of TC and Jake. Hey guys, what's up? Uh, it's TC and just TC. I am in Las Vegas and Jake is currently on the air right now. And uh, I wanted to talk to Michael Sartain, uh, who we talked to last time. And uh, I don't know, I'm sure Jake would have uh, plenty of good shit, but uh, we're in Vegas and don't want to rearrange the day. And he was like, I think it'd be kind of weird to talk to you two with both of you being in the same room and us, me being another anyways. So uh, this is how it works out. I will also say we're going to try and get something else uh, in the rest of the week, but it's probably not going to be an interview, despite it being interview month. I, I hate breaking my promise to you, but uh, we're going to do our best. And then Jake's going on vacation next week. So maybe we did not do the best in planning which month would be interview month, but to lay it all on the line for you, what I really, really, really wanted to do was talk to Mike Reiner, Mike Saroy, and Tony the Engineer, and uh, I feel like we did some good shit with them. So I'm, I personally feel like we uh, did not prom- did not keep all promises, but have provided a satisfactory product. So uh, you, you can agree or disagree on uh, on, on Twitter. Um, anyways, <laughs> Mike's uh, Mike's cat's having a thing right now. <laughs> But um, yeah, so I'm, I'm in Las Vegas, here is Mike. We can see the strip, not necessarily from this room, but from the, uh, the living room, and we're, uh, we're having a great time. How, uh, how are you doing, Mike? I'm doing great, man. I mean, uh, your, your interview month this month has been terrific. What's, and, uh, what's been your top one? Um, I, I really, I always like Dan. Yeah. I, mean, I just like how Dan can just be a little bit more Dan with you than he can be on the air, because you know that's there. When you listen to him talk, but then when you finally um, you hear him on, uh, on on your podcast, then it's just it's very very much real, Dan. He's just the best because he's the only person that will like uh, bug us. Like, hey, you got to make time for me. I want to yeah, come on. I want to be on the podcast. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I see the thing is for me, I, um, you guys have. I, I've tried to non contextually bring other people into the podcast, especially like the Patreon one. I'll be listening in my car or whatever, and it's hard for a lot of people to keep up because mm-hmm. they're they're like they're not sure if Epstein killed himself. Whether you you guys are sure he didn't, you know, it's, it's just like it's hard for <laughs> them to keep up with your <laughs> level of humor. You know what I'm saying? Or or you know Baker Mayfield or whatever you have an opinion on. Uh, it's hard for them to keep up non-contact. And for me, sometimes I have to like stop and Google some of the stuff that you guys talk about. But when you get it, it's just, uh, you know, it's really funny. It's just banter, you know, like you said. Indeed. It's a lot of inside uh, college football humor that I had to go back and start. Like I told you this year, I started watching college football because you guys. I really wasn't uh, big on my to-do list. But now I, I went back and I watched all the highlights for every single one of the top 25 games just to be able to to talk intelligently about it. Yeah, that was great. That's I have to figure that is probably a pretty fun way to do college football. And I mean, I, I watch the games live all day on Saturday because like that is, you know, the happiest I am. Um, but uh, because there's so much going on, I will watch plenty of games just by, you know, like there's there's two dudes 
uh, that I'm aware of that'll put up like 10 minute highlight packages of like yeah, yeah, every for sure. single game. Victor's Valiant and yep. Uh, Wheels. Yep. Yep. And uh, that that it, it it is pretty fucking fun. Like it's about as fun as watching the game to just watch an 11 minute highlight <laughs> watch, package watch afterwards. Yeah. yeah, I do that for the NFL too. Uh, the the condensed packages. I watch all 16 games every week. <laughs> it makes it it makes it uh you know it makes it a lot more fun. It goes by quicker. Whereas other people like I remember you know growing up. Uh, in Dallas, uh, sitting there watching the Cowboy game, but then the commercial breaks are just so long, and next thing you know, it's been four hours, and you just sit there and you've watched one game, and now you're watching highlights from all 16 games, uh, and it's just, uh, you know, it's the same thing college football, but NBA is like that too. Sometimes I can't watch the whole Mavericks game. Sometimes yeah. I'll just have to watch the highlights or the condensed version. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely uh, things you're losing by doing it that way, but it's it's not that much. You know, I mean, like, it, it depends. There's There's some stuff where, like, I really do feel like you have to watch you know, the, the 10 minutes preceding to really, like, establish what the stakes are and, like, kind of get hyped into the moment. Um, but then there's other stuff where it's just, you know, if, like, if it's just a... a 50 yard run or something like that's going to be pretty exciting regardless well, def- of definitely last night with the all-star game yeah that was incredible you had to watch that the fourth quarter of that all-star game was i've never seen anything like that it was more intense than a playoff game yeah they were fighting each other whereas uh luca's pass all the way down the court uh you could watch that and not really know the context and be like <laughs> that's fucking great exactly yeah um, yeah, so I, I don't know how a, the sound quality of this either, is either. We, we, we checked it and it seemed all right, but we, we're in a, I don't know what you guys know about acoustics, but we're in a room with uh, wood floors speaking on a glass table, and those are the only things in the room. <laughs> so that's kind of a, uh, a what not to do, but uh, whatever, we'll figure it out. So anytime I tell people that I have a friend who lives in Vegas who's hooked into the party scene and, uh, you know, th- 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 they got to meet him, I was, I was giving this pitch to Saroy after we did the podcast with him at Off the Record because he's coming for the uh, NFL draft. Oh, perfect. So expect right, a party that, that with is, Mike Saroy on the is NFL going, draft. That is going to be the first weekend of our bikini competition. will be April 24th. Hell yeah. The weekend of the draft, yeah. So depending on scheduling, I can't yeah. think it's hard to get him there. I think he should just skip the draft, actually. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, so uh, they'll, they'll always be like, oh, oh, cool. So what's he do? And you've explained to me what you do, but every time I'm just kind of like, I don't fucking know. He, he could have three more hours to explain it to me, and I'm still going to be like, hey, you know, he does some shit. <laughs> but uh, I, I did, you know, <laughs> want to at least give you the chance to uh, maybe maybe if you explain it, uh, there's the people who listen to this that are smarter than me will be like, oh, yeah, of course, that's what he does. <laughs> so so what, uh, what do you do? Uh, in 2011, I got out of the military. Uh, and I started managing money uh, just uh, as a hobby for some friends and family members. It was, um, uh, you know, going through the crash of 08, a lot of, uh, a lot of weird questions about, you know, what, what to do with money. A lot of people were very, a lot, a lot of traders right now don't, aren't aware of anything before the crash of 08. Uh, they, they, they've only seen a bull market, you know, the market went up like 32% last year. Um, so, so I started, uh, I found this one company. I really called, hate the bull and bear terms. Cause like both of them sound like aggressive champion they, they animals suck, but to bull, me, but a bull's horns go up and a bear's claws come down. That's where the, I, that's, that's where the terms come from. Yeah. No, I, I, I can always sort which ones, which, but I, it should not be like that. The, the, the bad <laughs> one should be like, you know, a fucking salamander market or something. <laughs> A bat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So, uh, no, I, I started trading uh, probably in 2014, 2013, uh, and then I just started doing it kind of as a hobby just to see if it, it was better than trying to guess which way stocks were going to go. I found a quantitative trading firm uh, called Tasty Trade. They just teach you how to trade it from a quantitative matter, uh, selling stock options. Turned out to be really successful. Uh, and then uh, I started doing uh, trades online for them. So whenever I trade, my trades go online to the 100,000 people that follow tastytrade.com. And then um, they got me a job at a hedge fund uh, two years ago. And, and I have been working for Continental Financial Capital as a portfolio manager for the last two years. I only sell stock options. That's all I do. People always ask me what stocks to buy or whatever. I only trade volatility. The way stock options work is they're basically like insurance contracts on other people's stock, mm -hmm. right? So if, if, you, if you were to buy a put for me, you're basically buying homeowner's insurance, but it's for your stock instead of your home. Uh, and I just sell, I just sell tons of those uh, for different people. And then the more vol like the best time to sell hurricane insurance is right after a hurricane, right? So yeah. whenever there's volatility, like the coronavirus or Donald Trump says something crazy, the price of those options become more expensive. I sell more of them and then I make more money when they expire. I usually do 45 day options. So they'll expire in about 45 days. So I do that right now. I have uh, five clients and then I have a, a fund that I work for. That's what I do for a living. And then what everyone knows me for is that I host uh, several different bikini competitions in Vegas. One in, uh, I host one, I hosted one in Miami for Super Bowl. I host one in Mexico called Swimsuit USA. Uh, that's where their finals are. Uh, and then I host uh, the Dre Swimsuit Showcase. And Little Mr. ironic. Final in Mexico, yeah. Um, and then I host uh, Miss Brazil USA also. So I host a bunch Miss of Miss Brazil USA. Miss Brazil USA, yeah. Because you can't make any be, can't, sense. Because you can't make can't be Miss Brazil, right? No, there's dude. I've seen Miss New Jersey Brazil USA. I've seen any kind of <laughs> any kind of uh, any kind of bikini thing you can come up with. And then uh, the other thing is I host a bunch of different charities. So I host Babes in Toyland, which is. We take a bunch of the influencers, some of them compete in the bikini competition, some of them just go to you know, different influencers parties, like Bulzarian's party last weekend, uh, and we, use, we have them come out and have men come out and donate uh, toys and donate money to different charities. Mm -hmm. A lot of their fans will come out and donate to the different charities. So uh, March 26th, we're doing one for the Downtown Dog Rescue and uh, Operation Blankets of Love. And I believe the, the Stray Cat Alliance in Los Angeles, we're doing one March 26th at Academy in Los Angeles. So it's like 80 bucks a ticket. You see every single Instagram model you've ever seen in your life. And then they help us raise money for the different animal rescue charity, uh, animal rescue charities that we chose for that one. The one after that is for the troops. And the one I, we do in December is a toy drive for underprivileged children. Uh, the couple times I've been to, to Vegas and, uh, you know, I'll let you know I'm here and you'll be like, hey, I'm at this bar with these yeah. uh, Instagram models. I've been blown away. Like they're they're the nicest people I've ever met, uh, and I, I've always wondered: is that like because I know you, and they think like if they're <laughs> nice to me, that like it's going to mean that they get in some party, or do you, do you just find that like these are just some of the sweetest people on earth? I would have assumed from outside that it's like pretty fucking competitive and catty. Is is there that side of it, or but? No, definitely. Yeah, I, I think when the ones that you've hung out with, uh, usually I was like dating one of them, mm -hmm. and so I I tend to like I some of them are sociopaths, you know. Just like yeah, any, that's any what other, I would expect. Any other line of work, and I just don't spend as much time with those yeah. girls. So yeah, the ones you met happen to be really really nice, but definitely not all of them. Some of them, like you said, though, I have one friend of mine. She's a huge influencer. She's got like three million followers, and she's really nice to me and incredibly mean to everyone else. That when they first <laughs> yeah. meet her, because she's just tired of like random people coming up and asking for photos, and so yeah. she, and uh, she may or may not be dating one of the Dallas Mavericks. 
<laughs> I won't say her name or his, but uh, yeah. So, what are his feelings about his workload? Huh? What are his feelings he's, about the amount of time he has not, the ball? He's not. Uh, he's not getting the ball enough. But we're not going to discuss that. <laughs> we're not going to betray confidences. But yeah, um, yeah, there's that. It, that is one of the funny things is that um, how many athletes will message some of these influencers just straight up like, hey, let's go hook up. And I'm like, bro, like, do you understand those messages don't go away? Like you saw what happened with, uh, what's his name, Baker Mayfield. See, I think that that's a, I, I don't know, because Baker Mayfield didn't do that to an Instagram model. He did it to like some, just some random girl who came who lives up in Cleveland. Them, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's my point. Like you have to be, so I've had this. I don't word. know if it'd be better or worse. I guess it's, I don't know which one's more risky because like on the one hand, the Instagram person has a large platform and like, I don't know that they're going to be like, oh fuck, it's Baker Mayfield. I can't turn this down. Well, you, you saw, um, was it Jamal Adams and uh, Mia Khalifa were like going back and forth where she, he was just unsolicited sending her pics and then she just put him on blast. Uh, I, I remember it being safety. I don't. You, Maybe it wasn't Jamal. I don't know who it yeah, was. But it was I, I remember her doing that to a safety. I think it was like for the Bills. I don't, oh, yeah, I don't no, you're right. It wasn't yeah. the Bills. Yeah, yeah, it was a different guy. But you uh, were just thinking AFC. East. I was thinking AFC East safety. That's yeah. right. And uh, Jamal Adams is on my mutt team, so that's why he came up there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, I mean, so what I meant instead though is like if anything gets lascivious, you send one of those voice messages that they can't screenshot. Do you mm -hmm. understand? I just. Every time I send someone a message now, and I'm not sending like, uh, uh, you know, weird, gross things, but every time I send someone a message, any girl a message, I'm always thinking there's a Netflix camera crew sitting behind her. It's ready to just expose all of us, yeah. just put us in the worst possible light, make it humiliate us. So I never send like girls will, if a girl sends me nudes, I send back, Hey, have a blessed day. So good to see you. You look, <laughs> you, you look very, you look very healthy. I will never like, because I'm always assuming she's in a room, you know, with a bunch of her female friends just waiting for me. So that's why I just don't get it. I, I just feel like to talk on the phone or use some platform that where the messages disappear like cyber dust or, you know, uh, Facebook secret or something like that, because I'm big always, cyber dust plug there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always, uh, I'm always uh, the, the, also the unsend feature on Facebook. Dude, that's the best. Have yeah, you seen that? I've not. So, I don't, I hate Facebook. I'm not on that. No, I'm sorry. Not Facebook, Instagram. So if okay. you, if you, if I were to message, let's say a hundred girls and then I were to message them again for something else, I could unsend all the previous messages. Does that make sense? I didn't know that. Yeah. So it makes it uh, it makes it a lot more convenient that way. That's cool. Yep. Um, so as part of your like, uh, well, first of all, before we leave the the trading thing entirely, um, I'm, I'm reading this uh, this interview with you in uh, Luckbox magazine, and it asked you how many trades you do a day, and you said like seven. Mm -hmm. uh, so how much time do you like spend in a given day? Actually, I'm always just interested in your schedule because whenever we text, it's usually like you sent me something at 4 a.m. That, <laughs> that I wake up to and respond to at like 9 a.m. Yeah. And then uh, then I'll hear back from you at like 2 p.m. of like, you know. <laughs> when I woke up. Yeah. So I, I can tell that, uh, that, you, that you don't have uh, nine to five hours. Um, but if you're making seven trades a day, that, that seems like that would take like a half hour. Oh. <laughs> uh, it's... I usually trade the last two hours of the day, so that would be where you live. That would be uh, what uh, one to three, mm -hmm. and for me, it'd be eleven to two or mm -hmm. eleven to one. So because uh, the markets close at four 
Uh, Eastern. Eastern, yeah. correct. And they open at 6.30 a.m. I've found, just from my experience of you know trading stocks for, I guess, the last 25 years, is that uh, the more you think you know, the more trouble you get into. Because nobody really knows which way stocks are going to. Technical, fundamental analysis, that stuff is fake. Uh, people have yeah. tried for years. This, um, I just read the book about Jim Simons, who's the most successful um, hedge fund manager in the world. He he owns the he runs the Medallion Fund, and the book was written from the perspective that Jim Simons has some crystal ball where he can tell which way stocks are going, but he doesn't. No one does. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of times, people buy into cryptocurrency schemes and Bitcoin scheme or uh, into a binary stock schemes or all these other schemes because they think that there's somebody somewhere who has this holy grail that can tell which way the market's going to go. And the fact of the matter is no one knows which way the market is going to go, which is why I trade stock options in a range. I sell the puts below where I think it's going to go. I sell the calls above where I think it's going to go. So that's, that's basically what I, you know, I learned from that. And it, it just makes things a lot easier <clears throat> for me doing it that way. Yeah, I find in any of that kind of shit, the, you, you would think that the people who are successful are the people who are the, the, asset gatherers. the most sure. Yeah, the, the like people. The, they're the like, people I who, definitely know it's going to happen. But I've, I've found that the people who are like, I don't know anything, but I might have a hunch about this. Not a hunch, but yeah. like, I think that this price might be off by 0.001 cents. There you go. You understand. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So I'll do something that reflects it might, be, you know, like mm -hmm. I'm not putting my whole fucking thing on like, uh, this is off by 0.001 cents. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So just the, the people that are like super fucking timid and uh, incorporate a lot of like, just have, a, have an approach that reflects the risks involved, it seems like they make a lot more money than the people who are sure they're going to make the, money. The, yeah, the people who are sure that Bitcoin's going to go to a million, that those are the people that I'm kind of afraid of, right? Yeah. So, so the thing is, even if it does go to a million, it doesn't mean you were right. It just means that like you just got lucky. And people it just sometimes you shoot the half court shot and it goes in, does not mean it was a good shot, yeah. right? So that's that's kind of the situation here. So like for instance, what you said before, if I had a stock at a hundred dollars a share and I was like, ah, I think it might go to ninety five, but it might go to one hundred five, and I'm not sure. What I could do is I could sell a put at ninety if it goes. To 95, I make all the money. If it goes to 105, I make all the money, right? I make not as much as I would if I had bought the stock, but I still make a higher percentage uh, otherwise. So I, I like the wins, right? I like to hit the hit the high percentage shot over and over again, and that's what trading stock options is. Like you win 95% of the time. So that's why that's why I do that for a living as opposed to trying to guess which way stocks are going to go. So you just like kind of log on in the last two hours of the trading day? That's right. And... Uh just kind of pay attention during that and then live your life the rest of the time. And Pretty make much, it, yeah. Make enough I, money to eat. I only trade uh, based on volatility. So, yeah, there's only one real metric that I look at. So, pretty much. I'm going to, I, I don't really know how that works, but like, uh, I would assume that like you need a certain amount of starting. Uh, capital is, yeah. was that just like being in the military and saving, being smart, or um, there's that, and then there's other people seeing my returns. So like mm -hmm. for me, for me, it wasn't typical that I made 34 percent last year. That's what I made for all my clients. Um, typically, you know, the year before it was 11 percent. The year before that it was 18 percent. The year before that it was 23 percent. So it's somewhere in that area. You can do the math and say, well, okay, how much would I need to live? All right. Divide that by 1.23 or 1.18, and then say, okay, this is what I need to start with, right? So if you if you can do that, and that's what you feel comfortable with, and that's what you should do. What I what I would advise, however, is like 
passive trading is is so bad for you for two reasons. Number one, when the market goes down and you need to get out, you don't know how. And number two, you don't learn anything, right? So for me, in my situation, if I want to buy a house, if I want to buy a car, any kind of financial trade I want to make because I know how things should be priced because I trade things for a living, uh, it's a skill set in uh, in addition to the fact that I make money from it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like un understanding how things should be priced in a market is a, it's a skill set in and of itself that people should have, right? So I, I, I would recommend, even if people take 10% of their disposable capital and just go trade spreads and SPX, just to learn how to do it, just so you find some incentive to keep up with. Just like some people are more invested in the NFL because they play fantasy football, it's the same kind of thing, right? Yeah. So people would be more invested in the stock market and understanding how, the, how finances work if they just have Five thousand dollars or two thousand dollars in the stock market, you can do it. You can sell, you can sell five hundred dollar or uh, five dollar wide spreads in SPY with two thousand dollars. You can sell those easily. So there's a there's a bunch of different ways to do this. <laughs> All right, I think we've uh, shot well past my ability to speak about this intelligently. <laughs> about finance, yeah. yeah. So All right, let's uh, talk about the Instagram models. Let's yes, go. yes, yes, yes. Uh, so you, I, I know from your Instagram, we'll go to uh, some of these like location shoots, right? Yeah. Um, What's what's the scene there? How about just let's start at the start. First time you got invited to a location shoot, like tell me everything about it. How how did you know whoever invited you? Where was it? What was it like? Just walk me through the whole thing. So the first time would have been 2015. I um I was I had just been the host of the uh, Maxim Hot 100 party, mm -hmm. um, the red carpet host. I, I interviewed Nick Jonas for that. Um, and then I was also the host for Babes in Toyland, which is the, the toy drive charity, right? Yeah. And so one of the, there was a um, destination photo shoot and they wanted to make their videos and their production a little bit more professional. So they asked me, they said, hey, you know, we'll fly you out. We'll get you a hotel room if you'll come to Hedonism in Jamaica and then be uh, the announcer for uh, Paradise Challenge. And Our audience will know that from the uh, uh, Workaholics episode right. built around them going to, uh, to Hedonism. Yeah. So uh, it's Paradise Challenge is at Hedonism 2, which is in Negril, Jamaica, uh, and that is um, every September. And so there's a bikini competition that we have there, and then there's also the Black Tape Project. So that's the same guy, Joel Alvarez, does the Black Tape Project, and he also does Paradise Challenge. So I went there and I did that, and I've done that every year, so 2015, 2016, 2017. Uh, and then, actually no, 2016 was probably my first year doing that. And then, so that was the first one I did. And then from there, it just, these things kind of all feed into each other. So I do yeah. Paradise Challenge, Challenge, and then I recruit girls to do the bikini competition mm -hmm. uh, here in Vegas. I do the bikini competition in Vegas. I recruit those girls to go to the Ignite parties or whatever influencer party in Los Angeles. I go to the Ignite party over at Dan Bilzerian's house, and then I recruit those girls to go do Babes in Toyland. And then I go to Babes in Toyland, and I recruit those girls to do the bikini competition. Or I do recruit those girls to do Paradise Challenge. Does that make sense? Yeah. They all kind of feed into each other. Uh, so, which is why for me, it's important that I, like, I go to all those different things and it makes my life a lot easier because the more I do it, the, the recruiting become, takes less and less time. It, the trading is actually the same way. The more I understand the markets, the less time I need to put into it e each individual day. But if I were going to teach you how to trade, the first, you, I, I, there'd be 300 hours of study to start off with, to yeah. understand, to, you, you know, to go back through your, uh, college entry level statistics courses and understanding, you know, standard deviations and one, uh, you know, positive and negative kurtosis and stuff like that. You have to go back and learn all that stuff. Once it's second nature, then it's easy. Same thing, I, you see me playing Madden. I play Madden all the time, right? Mm -hmm. The first 
couple weeks is just like trial and error, trial and error. Then once you have a game plan set, then you have to put in less successive time. The learning curve starts uh, to get shallower and shallower and it becomes easier for you to, to understand what you're doing. So that was the first one. Then after that, uh, recently, to me, the pinnacle, uh, the one that I've always wanted to do, they finally asked me to do it was Swimsuit USA. And mm -hmm. I'd been messaging them, I'd always wanted to do it. Extremely classy. What was good about them? <clears throat> They just had the prettiest girls and the nicest locations and the best photographers and all this kind of stuff. Uh, not to say that Paradise Challenge doesn't. The Paradise Challenge has incredible girls also. It's a little bit different, but Paradise Challenge is more of a, a semi-nude, implied nude uh, mm -hmm. type of thing. There's a lot of um, naked girls in water and kind of stuff. And that's awesome. Trust me, I love going there, right? Eating pizza with a bunch of naked girls in Jamaica is awesome. But uh, for Swimsuit USA, it was more of, it is an actual pageant. The the woman who runs it, Kathy Wheatley, she used to work for uh, Miss USA mm -hmm. and Miss Universe. So she, when we when we do it, it's like we have hour-long uh, production meetings before every round that we do and all this kind of stuff. And I got to be more of an announcer the way I kind of, I have to wear a suit in order to do Swimsuit USA. Mm -hmm. uh, so so for that, that was a little different. It got me, it's a little bit more of a professional gig. So for that one, it's also 72 girls that come out. They all compete. They're all fully invested in trying to win. Uh, so that one's, that one's really terrific. That's the one I got hired for this last year. Um, and that was kind of a, a um, here's the funny thing. So my two dream jobs, the ones I always wanted was I wanted to host Swimsuit USA and I wanted to host the Hot 100 over at Wet Republic. Those are the two, the Wet Republic has the biggest bikini competition in the world. And the way I got both of those jobs was it had nothing to do with my resume had nothing it only had to do with people I knew yeah so my my one of my closest friends won swimsuit USA last year and she recommended me to host it this year and that and then they were they looked at my resume and they're like okay we'll hire you to host it the same thing with uh, Miss USA or with uh, wet Republic I'd been trying for years to get that job they wouldn't respond to my emails nothing and then uh, a good friend of mine who uh, uh, recommended me seriously and then they finally went and looked and it's re it's really interesting that you know, you think that it would be just the best person would win all the time, but or I a meritocracy. Yeah, it's not a meritocracy. It's it's. I've, who, I've been it's alive for a know. couple of years. So yeah. I, I do not believe that's the case. Yeah, it's not a meritocracy, man. It's it's just kind of who you know, right? So that's that's how I got those two gigs. Yeah, and I mean. You know, if you think about like human evolution, I, th I know it's a, t a topic you're very interested in. Yes. You're always recommending the book Sapiens to me. Yes. And uh, one day I yeah. will read it. It's phenomenal. Um, but, uh, you know, like on the one hand, that's sort of like it's not necessarily nepotism because you're not related to those people, but it's, it's the same idea of like, they, they didn't evaluate your merits. They just like someone, but that is, that is pretty valuable information to know someone that you've already judged and you already know what their parameters for like, who's a good person, who's skilled and who's not has told you like, it's, that is, I think that that is like better information a lot of times than reading a, you know, who the fuck knows what a resume means. Well, there's like, too many resumes. Lying. The problem yeah. is there's too many resumes, yeah. right? And so you, you, uh, and if you get, just ranked people based on resume, I don't know if that ends up. It's impossible. Yeah. Much better or not. So, um, I mean, when you think about it, uh, th there's too many resumes. You'd have to go through all of them, and then you can sort of imply trust. So I trust this guy, and this guy trusts this other person, so I'm going to give this person a shot. Yeah. And if they end up being qualified, there's just like this little monicum of trust that's built in that wasn't there otherwise. Does that make sense, right? Yeah. So that's, for, for me, I knew I'd done 23 bikini competitions before, so I knew when if they ever, ever saw my resume, I'd get hired, but I just couldn't get it in front of them, right? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Same thing with my trading results. I knew, I, I was just 
just audited two two uh, weeks ago by uh, I can't forget which bank I forget which bank did it, but they audited my trading results. They said yes, we can confirm you made thirty four percent last year. And so, uh, but how hard is it to get? That's expensive. How hard is it to get those results in front of? A, an actual hedge fund manager who knows how to uh, get funds allocated to him. Uh, I, I took a course online uh, from Stanford. It was, um, uh, it was, uh, what was it? Uh, Startups from the eyes of the venture capitalist. You can still look it up. It's on iTunes U right now. You can take it easy, cheap, whatever. I think it's on Coursera also. But what you find out is that you'll find these people, they'll be the CEOs of a company, right? And then they'll use their connections to get seed capital from uh, venture capitalists. They're all, they all live in Silicon Valley. They all went to school together. Then those people will then leave as CEO of that company once they get their funding, and they go right back to work for a seed capital company. And then they will talk to their friends, and then they'll give seed capital to the ones they trust. And then they'll go right back to being a CEO of another, uh, of another startup. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And it ends up being this one group of 2,000 people where all of the investment is rotating through. Does that make sense? And you have to hire, just like uh, um, you'll see certain large companies hire lobbyists in Washington, D.C., yeah. you'll see the same kind of thing. It's who you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there's this implied trust amongst the, this small group of people, right? And, the, and that's basically how you end up getting your gig. So the, the successful people are the ones who figure out how to get their foot in that door. Yeah, I, I want to, like, as far as uh, this is a little bit of a tangent off what you're talking about, um, you talk about, like, uh, the circle of people and, like, how, how it comes to be that, like, something, you know, even, like, something as large as, like, the, in, the entire government, I I'd sometimes have, like, a, a feeling that it's, like, 100 people right. that are, are actually the ones, like, you know, that, that are involved in this world and they all know each other. Yes. And so no, no, matter, no matter how big of a scale... Uh, the operation or the, the the topic you're talking about, I working on a theory that it always just like reduces down to, you know, is like just a social circle as many yes. people as like a human can keep in their brain. So I, I was wondering about how that works around here with like the party scene. Like, do you, do you think that like everyone who lives in Vegas? that like regularly, you know, I don't know, like goes to bottle service or something. Do you, do you feel like you probably have met all of those people? I actually keep spreadsheets. I'm showing, <laughs> I'm showing yeah, you, you one right now. You just put your phone across and it, yeah, this, this appears to be a list of everyone in Vegas who's serious about partying. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So I keep spreadsheet. I have one spreadsheet for Los Angeles, one spreadsheet for Las Vegas. I have a smaller spreadsheet for Dallas. I have one spreadsheet just for bikini recruiting. Uh, I have to because the human mind really, you actively keep about 150 people. Yeah. You think about, uh, you'll find that military units are about 150 people. If you go back and look at ancient tribes, there were about 150 people. After that, they stop becoming faces. You can still remember their names, but they stop becoming faces. Uh, I need to probably stop recording and start recording again here real quick. Okay. Yes. Hi. All right. There we go. All right. Yeah, back. So, so yeah, about 150 people, right? So if you go read an evolutionary psychology course, they talk about once you get, uh, once you get tribes over 150 people, they fraction off and become uh, different tribes. So for me, I'm very fastidious when it comes to like, if I see someone that I want for a certain thing, so I have a list for videographers, a lot of times group, group chats will be a way where I will collect people, right? So I have a, a group chat with just videographers. So whenever I have a thing coming up, I'm like, hey guys, I'm going to go film this. Are any of you guys available? And then they can also communicate with each other. Um, I will find that like um, there's this thing called value arbitrage where if you, TC, introduce two high status people to each other, then they both attribute that high status to you. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Sure. Right? So that that's kind of as a connector. Uh, what was the book um, by uh, Malcolm Gladwell? It wasn't the tipping point. It was... Um, 
was it tipping point? It might've been, yeah, it might've been the tipping point where they talked about connectors. That is one of the ways to like, you gain value very quickly by introducing people that are, have high value to each other. Or like, you know what, if you can go through and figure out what, um, what's the, the show, um, Billions. You ever watch Billions? Yeah. Remember I saw the, the, the first two seasons. The, 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 there's one episode where uh, one of the characters is like going around doing favors for all these different politicians and getting each other what they want mm -hmm. so that he can get himself back into a position of power. It's kind of like that situation. So like, again, we talked about like you, you're in this social circle and then you're finding out what each person needs. And then you just, you can fulfill those needs by introducing the right people to each other. And then they attribute that level of, um, that level of status to you. And then that's how you, that's how you would grow in the situation. And dude, that happens at the ticket that happens everywhere, right? That yeah. happens all these different places. That's kind of how you and I met, right? That's, it's always going to be a situation where it's like, Hey man. I'm going to get Stormy Daniels to do an inter to open for you guys for the podcast. <laughs> That's going to happen at some point because I have, I've met her tw uh, two or three times before. It wouldn't be, I know her. She would definitely do it. Yeah. Right. If she had the ability to do it, but like, that's one of the that's things. That's what she seemed like to me whenever we were yeah. hanging out. <laughs> Specifically you guys, they definitely <laughs> want to do that. But yeah, I mean, that's, the, that's one of the things, right? So like, uh, they talk, you remember the story where James Washington hit Mike Reiner in the head with a cake? <laughs> Have you ever heard that story? No, I don't yeah, think so. Yeah, so it was uh, James Washington's birthday, I believe, and, she, and he, uh, Mike Reiner had written something bad about him, and Washington, James Washington hit him with a cake. You never heard this? No. No. Uh, so I, I posted a, a video of me doing an interview with uh, James Washington and sent it to Mike Reiner, and I was like, hey, he didn't even hit me with a cake or bring it up or whatever, and he commented back. So for me, like that's actually I got the job at the hedge fund. It was one of these situations where I would send – send things to people that I found influential and then I would uh, uh, the pertinent information would be something that having to do with them specifically does that make sense do that on Twitter do that on Instagram do that however you want and that's just part of your networking yeah um, different topic I have a, I don't know I because I'm like a person who like uh, really doesn't give a shit about my appearance at all I, I wonder if I like uh, maybe just lead such a different life that I, I don't have a good view on this. Um, but like working with people, these models that have like a very appearance, a centric understanding of their value in the world, that always seems like really psychologically tricky to me. Um, like I, you just hear so much about like body dysmorphia kind of things. Like it seems like, like definitely people that are really hot like are like know that they're hotter than ugly people but i i think that people have a really hard time pegging their own appearance is that you well, well part part of the issue is uh the amount of appearance that you can change after the fact uh with photoshop or facetune um the level of professional editing that you would have to do for like a Playboy centerfold that would take days and you would have to use very rudimentary uh, technology to do it, you can do in seconds on your iPhone using Facetune, right? Mm -hmm. the, the airbrushing, the smoothing, the changing of the content. I should show you sometime, like the fact that I can just change every girl's waist to look super small, that's, that kind of stuff. It's very easy to do, like it's shockingly easy to do. Uh, and because of that, what ends up happening is you'll end up with uh, a person, this could be a guy or a girl, that attributes their value to what their value is on Instagram as opposed to what they are in real life. Does that make sense? Yeah. I have some friends of mine who are, <clears throat> they're huge models and over time they've gotten overweight and, but they still post video of photos where they shrink down their waist. They don't go to the gym. 
uh, and they don't look like their photos at all, but they still expect to be treated, invited to everything. They still expect to be treated like the girl with 5 million Instagram followers. That's mm -hmm. who they think they are externally, even though when you meet them, it's kind of shocking. They don't look anything like that. I'm not going to say any of their names right now, but like, like some of them in particular, it's just like, it's stunning. They're like, I expect this amount of money for appearances to do this and this, and then you meet them in person. It's just like crazy. I'll tell you like, uh, Kindly Myers, she's one of my really close friends. She looks exactly like she does in her photos. She's stunning in person. She's stunning in her photos. And she's probably the funniest person, the funniest female I've ever met in my entire life. Uh, and so when you meet someone like her, that's incredible. Uh, but a lot of the times it's like, uh, man, when I was at Dan's house the last time uh, at the Bilzerian house, I remember being there and just being yeah, like ha ha having, <laughs> having girls walk up to me and be like, hey, thank you for inviting me. It's so good to finally meet you in person. And I'm like, that's awesome. And I just turned to my friend. I'm like, I have no clue who that is. And I invited <laughs> them. Yeah. That was just a person I invited. I was like, hey, could you? And I was like, hey, let's take a picture real quick. Let me tag you in it. So I tagged them in the photo so that it pops up. And then I go check their Instagram. And I'm like, holy shit, this was the girl I was talking to? <laughs> this doesn't look like the girl I was talking to at all. Who is yeah. this girl? What in the world? Like, it's just so much, so much work done on IG with some of these girls that it's like they're, they're completely unrecognizable. Uh, so to go back to what you were saying before, if you have a persona on social media and that is how you make money and that's how people associate you, then what ends up happening is your social, your uh, self-esteem is now based to that. And, and by the way, in your case specifically, you know a lot about sports. You have opinions that are uh, that are funny. You post them on Twitter. To, in some in some cases, your persona has to do with what how people perceive you on Twitter, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how they're going to sure. introduce themselves. They they know about the they have the, they understand the inside jokes that you guys tell. Yeah. Uh, they understand your opinions based on, on, on your popularity and your opinions that you express on Twitter. And that's what's happened to a lot of people is like whether it, instead of it being just me myself, it's the persona that I give out on social media that now is the way I expect to be perceived. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, for similar reasons, like I, I, I have always tried very hard to uh, not play a character on the podcast or, or on Twitter. No, you're like definitely that. not playing a character. I believe that you smoke marijuana in real life. I don't think that, I don't think that you're yeah, making that uh, You know, wait, wait till about a half hour after this. Um, but, uh, you know, I, it's because like that, that just seems really fucking tricky. Like I, I just think that, I don't know, I have a hard enough time, uh, going through life in the, in the very simple way that I do that. Like, uh, I, I, for me, the depression that would result if I was if I had that realization that I'm I'm trading off of a thing that I am not like I, that'd just be fucking terrible. I, I just I, could, I couldn't do it. Uh, okay, but if you made four hundred grand a year doing that, <laughs> yeah, no, 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 fine. I think point. you get over it. You understand yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there, that is what's happening. Uh, what's happened now is like the commoditization where it was like, but I, the, the reason I like having money and I, I, I don't have much, but <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the reason why I like having money, go ahead. Uh, you know, it's, it's not any of the, the things that buys here. Nice. The thing that I am looking for by trying to accumulate money is security and like relief of stress. Of course. And if I had $400,000 in the bank, but I was very worried that it was built off of something that was not sustainable, I don't think that that would provide me the relief I was looking for. I would be like, once I burn through sure. this, 
you know. But, but do you understand the moral hazard that the that bank executives had before the OA crash, right? If I do this, I make $20 million. Afterwards, my name is shit. I get a, go, uh, uh, a golden umbrella, whatever it's called, a par- golden parachute, right? Yeah. I get this payout whenever they fire me. But how many times do I need to get rich to be rich? How many times do I need to make $20 million in my life, right? Yeah, so no, becomes- 20, 20 million, there's no version of 20 million where I'm like, is this sustainable? Like yeah. the average person, like my lifetime expected earnings, I think is like what, uh, two or three million, like something I, I think, in that range? I think when you're tier one at, at the ticket <laughs> this next time, I think you're going to make that in a couple of years. Um, <laughs> Don't think so. Uh, <laughs> but but, uh, but, but I'm, I'm just saying like, so 20 million, like that's... That's it. Like I could, I, if someone gave me twenty million, I, I could live in my house at my like a better lifestyle than than I have now, and yeah. uh, you know not not have to uh, gain one more penny, and and I so so my worries about sustainability would be would be solved there, but something less than that. Well, a, a couple. So so here's the thing, right? So um, it's it's this weird conundrum that happens where. Uh, I'll just use a, a specific example. There's a friend of mine. She lives. Uh, uh, she lives here in Vegas, and she was. Um, she decided, hey, I'm going to go on OnlyFans and just have sex with my boyfriend on OnlyFans, and then sell subscriptions for nine ninety nine a month. Yeah. She makes more than forty grand a month doing this. Yeah, that'd right. Be chill. The sustainability <laughs> of that. Like, how many times do you need to make four hundred thousand a year before you can take a different job or go back to school or do something else? Do you understand yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah. how many times? Like, how many years do you need to work at the Rhino and make you know two hundred thousand, two hundred fifty thousand a year? Work at Omnia. How many times? Like the girls who forego college and then end up working at a nightclub here, making over you know a quarter million dollars a year. You do that for four years, just like listen. I could go to get my graduate degree, or I could be a third round pick in the NFL, just try that out for four years, because I can do that now. I could be a real estate agent when I'm 40. Yeah. I can do this now when I'm young and attractive or young and athletic or whatever. Yeah. So there's that. There's always gonna be that question that they have. So in the, in the other cases, like also, if you don't care about your fans or, your other, or the outside perception, you're just trying to make money, which a lot of them are, I think that's why a lot of the girls uh, you know, do, it, do, what it, do what it is they do. Yeah, and I mean it's it's hard because like yeah, if if you if you make you know million dollars in five years, then then yeah, you got plenty of options. But what about the people who are like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a million dollars in five years doing all this stuff, and then I'll do college later. And like they don't make shit because they were wrong about yeah. whatever, maybe the, or maybe they had the merits and they just never met people. You know, maybe maybe they had a resume that, and an that ability. A lot. Yeah, you know yeah. what else is happening is that Instagram from 2012 to 2016 had this upward spike, mm-hmm. and it's over now. There's never going to be another huge, just like YouTube did the same thing. There'll yeah. never be another PD Pie. There'll never be another Jenna Marbles. There'll never be another uh, Dambelzarian. There'll never be an, the, the, there'll never be another Jake or Logan Paul. That'll never happen again because that free uh, that free publicity that they were getting before they were buying ads or, or like mm-hmm. you know paying to to increase their subscription or whatever. I mean, there will be another Instagram or another YouTube. Hopefully, you know, yeah. I wish they would there be one now there needs to be some disruption But what's happened is Instagram is flattened out so that in that exponential uh, Growth curve is gone. Mm-hmm. So when, when people come to me and they're like they want to grow their social media I'm like well you need to just focus on the people that matter to you and get those people to follow you because The, the odds of you getting a million real followers right now just being a normal dude are in just zero It's just not gonna happen You could win three Oscars and a Grammy and you wouldn't get a million followers right now It's just very very difficult. Does uh uh, does everyone you know use fake followers? Huh? 
Does everyone you know use um, fake followers? Not everyone, but I'd say it's a bigger problem in LA than it is here, but I'm shocked how many promoters that I meet that use fake followers. And the thing is, if you buy fake followers, guess what? It's like taking steroids, right? If you take steroids, you can't just stop taking steroids, yeah. right? Your body has now stopped producing testosterone. It's going to produce an excess of estrogen. So now you have to take other drugs in order to get back to normal. You have to keep cycling on the steroids. If you buy followers, you, you have to keep- You ever tried steroids? No, I've never tried it. Okay. If you buy followers, you have to keep buying engagement. Right. So I, 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 this guy I used to work with, I stopped working with him specifically for this reason. He kept buying more followers, buying more followers because he was competing with these other people that were kind of in his area. But you look at his posts and they're ridiculous. They're stupid, like incredibly narcissistic posts of just Mm -hmm. him posing. And and like, you're telling me you got, you know, 30,000 likes from a post of you looking at yourself in the mirror. That's ridiculous. Of course you didn't. Right. But then he'll forget every once in a while. Uh, to, to buy engagement for all of his posts. So we'll have 30,000 likes, 30,000 likes, and then 200 likes. And yeah. you're like, oh, the 200 likes, that's actually how many real followers you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then 30,000 likes, 30, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. will forget every once in a while, he'll like, or, and you have to, and here's the thing, for the rest of your life, you have to keep paying for that engagement. You can never stop. So I, I would tell, I would definitely recommend to people don't do that unless you're trying to start a business and you're really trying to get the marketing out there with some of those people, I would recommend they buy followers and engagement, but for normal people, I, de- I definitely don't think that's a good idea because you're just going to have to keep up with it for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's just a choice I've made and now I got to keep making yeah. it. Well, I think your Twitter followers are real. Some of them. Yeah. Sure. No, that. They're real. I mean, to, <laughs> it, the ones that are fake, it's not, it's not my fault. Right. Uh, that, that was an independent decision made with no, uh, you, no, no money transferred. I will say this. Uh, so Twitter, from what I understand, like 95% of the tweets are coming from 5% of the people, and the other 95% of people are receiving those tweets. They're mm-hmm. like the ones subscribed to CNN, but they're not writing CNN. CNN yeah. is doing the writing, right? They're, yeah. they're following Donald Trump, but they're not messaging Donald Trump. They're just receiving messages from Donald Trump. So it seems to be more of a, like a, a pyramid sort of like there's this, just these few people at the top that are disseminating all the information for Twitter. Whereas Instagram is a little bit flatter where everybody like any, you or I can post something really funny and then all of a sudden everybody sees it on Instagram. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. I just, I guess what I'm, what I'm getting at by, uh, talking about the, you know, um, reasons why I would find this to be like an insecure business to be in from my end, like, especially like the girl side of it, you know, like being being the model. I just, I I wonder like, I don't know. I think that everyone's got their shit, you know, like, I I don't know that there is a single profession where it's like, you know, you know, this profession is just a hundred percent full of people with no problems who are like approaching things the right way and like have a healthy mental life. I just don't think there's a lot of people out there with a healthy mental life. You know, like all of us have. Like in general. Yeah. Right. Well, so, so, so it goes back to those books I recommend, right? The evolutionary psychology books. Mm-hmm. You, you, we're still not evolved for the time that we live in. There's oh, no, not fucking close. Not even right? close, right? We're, we're evolved far more towards 50,000 years ago. Yeah. Right. That, that, and those people. And I think about that shit fucking constantly. Yes. Like that, uh, I just, I, I just look around and like, I think this shows up in the podcast. I think I bring it up all the fucking time. So no one's uh, going to be surprised by this, but, but I just all the time, whatever, whatever I like am left with a, an empty feeling. It's like, well, yeah, because none of like, I was, I was made to fucking, you know, hunt saber to, I obviously was not made to hunt saber to, so I'd, I'd fucking die pretty quick. But you know, the species, uh, was, right. was made for something other than what we're doing so, now. Yeah, so you're, and you're, that, and if you're looking for it, that shows up 
every minute of every day. So if you think of a pre-plasticine homo sapien, he, he, would ha- he would never have access to unlimited fat and salt and protein and nutrients, right? He might have... I a- think about that in terms of my weight all the time. Like, that's, that's a lot of why I'm right. like, I'm fat, I don't give a shit. Because, like... It's not like the, the the people who were ripped back then were like like it was because they were they were something exceptional about them. It's just like they led they led their Correct. fucking they lives, and, this, life. and these were the calorie intakes that made sense. And like so now we've gotten like out of whack with that because we've the, the pace of change around us has gone much faster than evolutionarily we can catch up to. And so now whenever I just live a regular life. Uh, you and you know eat things that like uh, make sense for me. Um, you know, I, I just I end up tremendously overweight because it's not like yeah, fucking be, designed for it. And like I, I don't want to fight design like that. Yeah, that seems like something where I'm going to lose eventually. Yeah. So I'm like I'm just not participating in the fucking <laughs> battle, guys. So yeah, you can have that one. But I remember when I was in um, survival school, and I remember when I was in basic training in the military, I, I remember it being stressful, but I don't remember ever feeling depressed. I remember the whole time feeling like there's a purpose, there's a thing I have to do tomorrow, and not having the time in my mind to feel the depression or to experience any yeah. sort of like a mental illness or insecurity creeping in because I I was in survival mode the whole time. So if, yeah. you're, a pre, if you're a pre-plasticine male, meaning like a caveman, uh, you you're you don't have time. Do you understand a man trying to meet women fifty thousand years ago? He didn't know what he looked like. You think about guys being insecure, <laughs> right? Oh, am I going to go approach this girl? He didn't have access to a mirror. He was yeah. not aware of what he looked like. Yeah. He approached women with confidence because he just killed a large animal and fed the tribe, right? Yeah. He was not aware that his nose was crooked. He didn't care about those things. He had no depression over those things. It was just a matter. It was just a function of survival. So like for us, we get in a situation where like we have our needs met. We have infinite stimulus, even now, like, you know, we, I, I, they were talking, joking about you having the new VR helmet, right? Indeed. Yeah. So we have infinite stimulus and infinite carbs and infinite salt and infinite sugar and infinite fat that we can consume. Even being, you know, middle class, we can infinite, infinite amounts of stimulus all from the internet. And our brains are not attributed to that. The idea that like, here's the other part that, that makes it very confusing. Your brain was set up for you to meet a, a few, maybe a dozen, uh, uh, viable females in your entire life and mm-hmm. mate with one of them. Mm-hmm. But like we get on the internet and we, we are meeting quote unquote meeting thousands of them. And, and you our, can, and you can watch them. mate. Yeah, exactly. And, and our brains don't know the difference, right? You, you, you know how people get nervous whenever they see somebody from their favorite movie or TV show. The yeah. reason why is because your brain doesn't know that you don't know those people. Your, yeah. bra- your, your, your limbic system just, or your, 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 uh, not your neocortex. I forgot the, the part of the brain, but like part, part of your brain is like not aware that that person isn't your friend. Right. Yeah. You, they, they think that that person actually knows you. And you'll see that like you'll see fans walk up to movie stars and just talk to them like they know them, you know, not because their brain is not aware. Hey, you don't know that person. You're just watching an image on the TV. Your brain doesn't know it's watching an image on the TV. Your brain is not evolved for that. Yeah. So it starts seeing all these pornographic stars and movie stars and television stars. And it starts taking that stimulus and starts thinking that this is the life I want. I want this life where I'm rolling around in the Lamborghini, listening to this music, smoking the best weed, hanging out with the hottest girls, right? And then mm-hmm. the girls, act, girls in the pornos, they act like this in real life and all this. And so your brain is not 
evolved for that lifestyle. And then also, so two things happen. One, you get all those needs met and you become depressed or two, you don't get all those needs met and you become depressed. Yeah. And that's, that's essentially what's going on. And my, my cats are fighting right next to us. <laughs> they want, dude, Kobe wants my attention so bad. And he, he and Sheba are just like going at it right now. Uh, yeah, no, which is, uh, I feel like a, a perfect background for this kind of stuff as we're talking about animal behavior and mm-hmm. we've, we've, we've created the fucking Serengeti inside your, uh, apartment, uh, and just watching it play out. But, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. So, so I think that there's a, just a ton of fucking hurdles we all face every day, period. But, uh, I also think that like, is, is my perception from the outside that, uh, being involved in a, in a world like you're involved in is like the things we're talking about on steroids. Yeah. And, and I just, I just didn't know if you had any like, uh, observations or deep thoughts from like, you know, just, just sitting back and, and watching no, this, yeah, like, so the rhino. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the Spearmint Rhino. It's a yeah. strip club that's near here. Probably the most, pop, probably the most popular strip club in the entire world. The one here in Vegas. Yeah. Uh, the, Satoshi Kanazawa. He wrote this book called "Why Beautiful People Have Have More Daughters." He's a uh, evolutionary psychologist. Mm-hmm. And just on a whim, one time I wrote him an email, and I was like, "Hey, man, just just in case you were ever wondering, you should come to Las Vegas and go to the Rhino because you will see evolutionary psychology in its like most advanced form. You will see the guys with the most money, and the girls with the biggest boobs and the blondest hair." like going at each other to try to like win this sort of battle of this evolutionary battle of like who is going to, is the woman going to get all the money? Is the man going to get the sex, right? And it's like this, it's like what you said, it's this evolutionary psychology battle on steroids. And it's like most, um, I'm trying to think, it's most barbaric form. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what Vegas is. Right. There's, it's like we're just trying to entertain you and stimulate you. There's no real substance behind it. You're not supposed to leave there with some sort of meditative realization. Yeah. You're not supposed to transcend anything. You're just supposed to spend money and get drunk and have fun with your friends. That that kind of thing. It's an exceptionally fucking trippy place to be, man. Yeah. Like just 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 going down the strip and like it's obvious that like just the I I I have been like had some formless thoughts in my head about it every single time I drive down the strip, but like I've never been able to like really verbalize. So I'm, I'm going to fail to do it again here, but there's just something about the fact that, and everything that they, all of their ideas for how I'm going to draw you in is by just giving you shit you've already seen, you know, like, yeah. like, like their, their thing of like, well, how, how can we build a successful casino? We'll, we'll recreate Venice here, you know? And like, I don't know. There's there's just really something about that. That like their idea of like, how do we be? You know, what's the right flame for these fucking moths? Right. And it's and it's just not not attempting to do anything new, but just like trying to 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 convince you you're somewhere else. Well, so I mean, isn't that so? If you if you do, there's uh, there's been studies. One book's called The Power of Full Engagement, and I can't remember what the other one's Power of Habit or something like that, where they talk about you. I can wear down your willpower over time. I can get you to make bad decisions at the end of the day if I make you make tough decisions at the beginning of the day. Does that make yeah. sense? Right? So that's the thing. Like, I, take I feel it, like the entire modern world has like successfully done that to all of us. For sure. They've gotten yeah. you to make these bad decisions. Uh, one of the reasons why... If I you feel have, so little willpower. <laughs> if you ever listen to why uh, Steve Jobs said he always wore those same Isi Miyake turtlenecks sweaters whenever he went on stage, or the reason why um, CEO of Facebook, why is it Zuckerberg, why he would always wear those gray t-shirts uh-huh. is because they don't want to use willpower 
on what do I wear today? They sure. wear the same thing every day. You see, like that uh, Nick Saban eating two Little Debbie snack cakes every morning for breakfast. Every stuff. Morning. Yeah, I've, I've, I'm, I'm into that. I, th- I, I totally buy that. Right. So like, if, a, you, if you think of willpower as an expendable asset or a muscle that wears down over the course of the day, you understand people come home, they're trying to lose weight, but then they have that beer at the end of the day, right? Because they, yeah. they need to relax. No, like so, it's it's a function of willpower. If you go look, it's funny because it's like, what does th- these casinos are making? A lot of money. So mm-hmm. it's like, what do the casinos actually tell you about human psychology? Because whatever they're doing is working. So what you should do is go in the casino and be like, okay, so this is what human psychology is craving in order to be stimulated all the time. Does that make sense? Like all the way the slot machines are always the greatest to me. It's like, what is the, about the slot machine that just keeps you pulling that handle? What is the, the hit, the dopamine hit that you keep getting from this? Because understand it's not on accident. They're not just some willy-nilly trying to figure this out. There are scientists that are trying to figure out how to get you to spend all of your money playing bingo, pulling the slot machine, going to the back rod table, going to the uh, going to play craps, going to play poker. There's a there's there's psychology involved in that. And so you you got it. You yeah. Ask yourself if all these casinos start looking the same, it's because they figured out that that's what the Homo sapien needs in order to be stimulated, right? Yeah. And so the thing is for for me, I I because I don't drink, I don't do any drugs. I have the willpower to live here and then just like Netflix and hang out with my cats sometimes. And then if Skrillex is going to play over at uh, Encore Beach Club, I can be there in 10 minutes and go see him perform on stage and then come back home here. To me, I like the option. I like the option of like turning it up to a 10 and then coming back down to a two immediately in the same day. Whereas if I try to do this in Dallas or horribly in Los Angeles, in Los Angeles, it's like hours of traffic, incredibly expensive lines, expensive to park hard to get my friends in, coordinate everything. Here, it's not difficult to coordinate anything. You just tell everybody, hey, let's meet at Encore at this time. Parking is free. There is no traffic. Like, it's just it's just a lot easier. That's why I live here. Such a unique fucking place. Like, as far as, like, it's, on the one hand, it's like, uh, you know, it, it, I think that if you went to most people in Europe and were like, what are the three places in America you'd like to go because it's like the biggest deal? Yep. Like, I think they would, they would list Vegas as one of those. Sure. Um, but, like, it's not a big city. No, it's uh, there, so there's two million people that live here in the bowl. The, Las Vegas actually means the meadows, yeah. right? So the uh, the the Native Americans that lived up on uh, uh, Mount Charleston, that's what they named this area. It was just a, a meadow that li- that was down here with a with a you know a stream uh, a river nearby, uh, and then if you just and count no that, fucking settlement whatsoever until the 1900s. Yeah, yeah. it's a do, do that's, you, that's wild. UNLV is a very young. I think UNLV was established in '53. It's like it's a very yeah. young university. Um, uh, like, Las Vegas, largest city founded in the 1900s. What do you mean? Like, uh, you know, New York was founded before 1900. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, like, yeah. of the cities oh, founded in the 1900s. Oh, of the cities founded in the, in the 20th century, it's the largest. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. in the world. Um, no, I believe that. So uh, maybe there's a bigger one in China. There's I don't probably, know. yeah. China, they specifically build cities just to, to, to manufacture certain yeah. uh, certain things. But, uh, no, there's 2 million people that live here. There's 600,000 that live in the in the city, in the un- unincorporated city. So that includes Enterprise, Paradise, uh, Las Vegas proper, North Las Vegas, Henderson, all those places. There's only 600,000 people that live here. You're right. But it's, it's just... Um, 
it's incredible because like any time of day or night, you can go eat anywhere you want. And then the thing is like, one of the reasons I lived here is when I lived in Wichita, when I lived in Atlanta, my friends would come visit me, right? Mm -hmm. When I lived in Wichita, no one would come visit me. <laughs> when I live in Vegas, everyone comes and visits. I mean, everyone from high school, college, they all will come visit me yeah. when I live in Las Vegas. So like, that was one of the things I, I actually don't like traveling as much. And so when I live here, everyone comes to see me. So it just, uh, it makes that part a lot easier. And then, you know, the other thing is, man, the most beautiful, like you can get to the Grand Canyon very quickly. Uh, Red Rock Canyon's here. You can go skiing on Mount Charleston. You can go uh, wakeboarding or, or uh, take a jet ski out on Lake Las Vegas or, or Lake Mead. There's just a bunch of cool stuff to do. And then it's a four hour drive to that cesspool, Los Angeles, if you need to go there. I, uh, I do hate the desert. You do? You don't yeah. like that? I, I like that there's no humidity here. It's one of the things I really didn't like about Dallas. Like uh, humidity, whatever. Yeah, of course, I don't like humidity. That's nice. But like, I don't know. I, I, I feel depressed if I don't see some fucking plant life. All right. Um, and like, I don't know. There's just something about like, like, like the desert is the, it's key defining features. It's inhospitable to life. And like, I've had right. a hard time escaping that. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's like Mars. Mars is very similar. to. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's so many people, there's a certain segment of the population that, that has a, a view of Las Vegas where, like, you know, like, like that they see the fact that uh, it's just, like, people trying to trick you by showing you things that you are familiar with. So, so here's the thing. I think... And L think that it's useless. I think that L.A. is trying to trick you. I think in Vegas, yeah. no one's trying to trick you. I think they're telling you the truth. It's just the truth that they're telling you is that things are expensive. Uh, I mean, they're trying to trick you into playing more slots. They're, they're, sure. The, 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 the whole, like, uh, you know, reassembling the Eiffel Tower here, that's that's its own kind of trick. Right, you know? it is. Um, and, and so, like, the people that then, then believe that that's useless. Like, I, I don't know if you've ever seen... Uh, any of Anthony Bourdain's episodes about Las Vegas, but that is that is his primary viewpoint. That it's that, like, useless? The, the, They're just trying to trick you? Yeah, that it's a useless place that's empty. Be, like, because, like, you know, the, the, like, he finds the fact that you would recreate the, the Eiffel Tower here, that that's, because it's not the actual Eiffel Tower, it's, it's, it's empty. Cool. It's, it's pretty cool. It's empty. It's, I mean, okay. All right. Yeah, we took a, took a break there to uh, respond to equipment. Um, but yeah, so so he, he finds the whole thing uh, empty, and... Um, I don't know, man. Like, I, I, I get where he's coming from, but I find every interaction here to be, like, incredibly fucking... There, there's, there's so much going on. Like, just... The things that he's reacting to, you know, the, the fact that, that everyone's like just he, rebuilding he, he, everything. He's reacting. But that, he's but that re in itself is interesting. He's reacting to the actual creation of the actual Eiffel Tower or Notre Dame or, uh, 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 you know, whatever historical artifact that he would see in Paris. And he would think, okay, then that means Paris has some uh, uh, substance to it, whereas Vegas doesn't. Whereas I look at substance as being the relationships that I have with other people. Sure, right? sure, sure. Not, not the historical. Like, hey, you want to know something cool, uh, some cool historical fact? You know how the Sinaloa cartel got started? You know, Sinaloa, mm -hmm. where they're running heroin yeah. out of Mexico? It got started because Bugsy Siegel, when he moved here to Vegas, he was originally going to buy the El Cortez. He bought the Flamingo instead. When he moved here, he was trying to get heroin to people all up and down the West Coast, and he made deals with, with drug dealers in Sinaloa, which eventually funded them to become this huge. There you go. There's some history. <laughs> yeah. there's, some, there's some Vegas history <laughs> yeah, right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? That's, that's how they got started. Uh, that's but, real but, and authentic, yeah. 
Yeah. Right. But what happened? It's funny because from uh, like 1980s to like the 2000s, once the mob kind of got moved out of the city, yeah. you ended up with a city with like several hundred <coughs> thousand people, but like a minuscule police department because mm-hmm. the mafia was one, the ones doing all the policing here. And uh, I, I don't know if you've read the book uh, uh, Storming Las Vegas. This guy yeah. hits up six casinos. He's a Soviet agent from uh, from he was a Soviet trained officer from Cuba. He came over in the the flotilla in 83. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he, he ended up robbing a bunch of uh, uh, casinos here. It was incredible because there was no police response. They couldn't get to him, you know, fast enough. But like, the, you're right. The, to me, the, the experiences that I have with my friends are the substance of this place. And especially for somebody like Anthony Bourdain, who would have uh, experienced tremendous uh, uh, food, right? I mean, he was, he was a food critic. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a great place to be a food critic. Right, the food you're eating here is real. It's it's fantastic, right? The experiences yeah. that you're having are real. The performances you're seeing are real. And when you come here with your friends, those experiences are real. So to me, it does have substance. Yeah, I think that he always kind of had a bit of an eye rolly, like everyone's selling out by coming here. Like the the amazing chefs that do that come here, um, and you know, in the episodes, like he's he's kind of laughing at it. And every he it was it's very interesting. Uh, so in like his first or second season. Ever on TV, he did no, he did a Vegas episode, and it's terrible. Like it's just fucking boring TV. Um, but it's really interesting because, like, on his second show, like in like the eleventh season of that or something like that, he came back and did it again, and it's totally separate from any conversation about Vegas. It's very interesting to watch him just get better at TV. Yeah. Because it's it's really clear if you watch him back to back that he's trying to do the exact same thing. He just spent 10 years getting better at TV and he can do it by the second one and right. make it entertaining. And so uh, separate from anything, it's that. And in both of them, it's got the narrative arc of he starts off from this thing of like everything's fake and thus it has nothing to like eventually begrudgingly being like, okay, I guess there's something here. And so I, I think the part of that is, you know, like like the beginning of the episode, that doesn't necessarily reflect his honest thoughts. That's, uh, he's, he's trying to create a narrative arc. But that's certainly a viewpoint some people have. Um, and, and I, I like the, the, the Vegas is like just fake people doing fake things. And so there's, there's no, nothing but, in, underneath all of it. And I would say that walking through a casino for me, uh, I do not get the sense that there is nothing here. I get the sense that there is fucking everything. And <laughs> like, like the, there's just, uh, there's just so much going on around you. And it's, it speaks so it's, it's so fucking raw of like how humans, like I, I, I what's, what's your, your, your email to the, uh, the author yeah. that like, um, this is evolutionary if you want to understand humanity, yeah. there might not be any better place. Exactly. I think that that's absolutely fucking true. The, the, uh, the, the it's uncon- people be acting like so fucking animalistically. The, uh, the uncontrolled, the unfiltered id. That's yeah. what it is, right? Yeah. Right. It's, uh, no, definitely what, what's real or fake is not, uh, something that's objective. What's real or fake is subjective to you. If you come here with someone you care about and you guys go see your favorite artist perform, that's real. There's nothing Anthony Bourdain or anyone else can say that that makes that not be a real experience that you had where you enjoyed it, right? Uh, Are there fake people doing fake things here? There certainly are. I've definitely met. I definitely think that Los Angeles, New York, Miami, Las Vegas attract sociopaths. 
because there's people who can get something, people who don't want to act, can't connect with other humans and want to get something for nothing. This is the city you'd move to. Yeah. You could get the most here, right? Uh, so that's why like I, I tend to be wary of some of the people that I do meet here for sure. But in general, like my experiences when I'm here are like, dude, when I, when we go to doghouse, that's real. Like I don't give a yeah. shit what anybody says. Yeah. Doghouse over there by uh, the hard rock hotel. That's incredible. Dude, when I go to the AVNs I and like I, doghouse. when I go to the AVNs and I see some woman like walking around with some dude on a, a chain, like with a leash on, that's uh -huh. a real experience. You can't <laughs> take is. that experience away. Yeah. When, I, when I see Raya sunshine, the porn star humping Raya sunshine, the porn star is like, uh, blow up doll, not a blow up doll. What is a mannequin that looks like super realistic? Yeah, real That's doll, a real experience. Yeah. I'm watching that. That's yeah. really happening, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so the, the I per, to me, you're right. Do, foundationally, does this place have the same history that Chicago or Dallas or New York has? Of course not. But does this is is it's offering something drastically different? Drastically from different. It, yeah. it is. It is going after the 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 part of your id that isn't stimulated from maybe your nine to five job, right? And I, I think that they deserve some credit here, and I that like for 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 knowing that. Like, I think in most other places, the fact that if you look at the strip, the strip in the sixties is an iconic fucking thing, right? Sure. Yeah. Like, like that's whenever it's first big, there's so many movies made about that time period. It, there's so many places around here now that are trading off that nostalgia. And most other cities in America, if they'd ever had something like that would have been absolutely obsessed with keeping it exactly that yeah, way. Correct. Like Maryland. And, the, and, and there is like what? Two casinos on the strip now that were back then. Yeah, we're back then. Yeah, yeah. Like Caesars and what? Well, you know. Caesars was in, in the eighties, but yeah. Uh, no, uh, the the. I, I think thought the they got like at least one building in the Caesars. Flamingo. That's like uh, where where there's fucking no, there's nothing Knievel on the strip. There's nothing on the strip now that's from the sixties. There's some of the names that are the same, but like all all of the places have changed. Um, I don't know. Maybe Polo Grounds are still there. Uh, Polo Gardens are still there. I don't know. But uh, you know. <clears throat> I forgot what we were talking about. What were you talking about? Just, just the way that, that uh, this this place is a place that most, and I mean, this probably is from the fact that like the Strip does not have a city government, right. but most city governments are like pretty fucking locked into... Let's if, keep everything. Yeah, that if, if we've reached like a historical that, high point, we're so not going to try and get so, higher. So we're what gonna you're talking about is Old Vegas, yeah. so that's downtown, like actual Las Vegas, which is seven miles north of the Strip. Uh, that place, they keep everything the same. There's still, they're definitely hotel. Dale Cortez has been there since the sixties. Yeah. All those buildings are historical and they stay there forever. And that's a, that's, if you want to come here and you want like dollar beers and you just want to walk up and down the street, like you're on, you're on uh, bourbon street, mm -hmm. you go to North, you go up to Las yeah. Vegas proper. But if you want to, uh, you know, if you want the, like, if you want to see Steve Aoki at, at Omnia, you go to the strip, right? But just so the number of historic casinos that like everyone's heard of that have been in movies that they just sure. fucking knocked it over for something new without giving a shit all right uh, there's something like it's amazing that that's happened and like I, I'm, I'm glad that there's a place in america that allows that viewpoint to flourish because right. most of them are, aren't like that yeah no it's definitely like that man it's, yeah um, it's uh it's a funny thing do you know do you understand uh so the reason i mean part partly obviously bugsy siegel coming here buying the casinos the state legislature you know, making it to where you could just gamble here anytime you wanted. That kind of stuff was a, a big part of it. But do you know one of the reasons why this city grew the way that it did was federal money that came to the city because of nuclear testing that they were doing just north of here. In fact, oh, there's a picture that you can find of people standing on top of the El Cortez 
looking at the smokestack from a detonated atomic bomb, not even oh, 40 miles fuck. away. Yes, you can literally see where they detonated. Now, these aren't, these aren't hydrogen bombs, right? These are just atomic bombs. But like they were testing atomic bombs. So uh, that's why the I-15 got priority coming through here so that uh, and a, a lot of federal money and Creech Air Force Base and uh, Nellis Air Force Base was here because they were doing so much atomic testing just north of here. And so that's one of the other, you want to talk about history, the, the atomic test, the National Atomic Testing Museum is also here in yeah. Las Vegas. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's one of the reasons it, where a lot of the infrastructure for the city came from federal funding because of the fact that they used us. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> to test the, these radioactive nukes. That's wild. Back in the fifties, yeah. And uh, Hoover Dam's got a little bit to do with the oh, population. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's. I mean Hoover Dam basically that uh, brought a lot of people to the oh, area man. just I to mean, work it, on it. Yeah, and it's it's uh, it's still a magnificent thing when you when you look at it now. Uh, just to see how many. Uh, I took the tour a couple years ago, and I fucking loved it. Yeah, it's I thought great. it was great. And you're you're in Arizona on one side, and you're in you know Nevada on the other they side. They told the story of uh, the number of casualties. I'm pretty sure it was on the Arizona side was uh, drastically higher because if someone died and like there wasn't a big boss around, you got better uh, death benefits on the Arizona side. So they would your friends would drag you to that <laughs> side. <laughs> So that your family would be able to get a little something. You know, before I moved here, I played uh, Fallout New Vegas. You ever play that? Uh, I'm aware of the game. I, uh, I've always wanted to go back, but I I, I came it's so it's so great. Too late. I can, yeah. Now living here after playing oh, yeah. Fallout, after watching 11 seasons of CSI before I moved here, and then yeah. playing Fallout New Vegas, then moving here, all of it, all of it kind of makes sense now. Yeah, that's cool. All right, uh, we've been going on for about. I, I think that we could probably talk for you know like this 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 back and forth for for quite a while. But this is the time of regular episode, and we're in Vegas. We should just go do some shit. So uh, it's been awesome talking to you, man. It has. Was there anything else that we were? I, I know the last time we got we did an interview with you, we ended and we were like, man, there's three big things we should have talked about. What, do you remember any of those? Yeah, what what well, else should we talk about? One of them was me being assaulted by a convicted felon at a nightclub. Do you remember this one? Yeah, but go go through it. So uh, I uh, there was this there's this guy who was convicted for being a pimp in the city, uh, and he was throwing he was doing these photo shoots at this house, and I was doing photo shoots during the same day, and I told a bunch of the girls I'm like, hey, listen, this guy's a convicted felon. Like I, I would recommend that you don't go to this place, blah blah blah, whatever. He finds me in a nightclub and just starts hitting me in the head like in front of it. The whole thing was on camera. It was weird because in Vegas, if I were to swing back, it's six months, I'm banned from the nightclubs. And if I'm banned from one MGM property, it's all the other MGM properties. Oh, so I just kept my head down. I just let this dude hit me like three times. It's on video, send it to the prosecutor, all this kind of stuff. Uh, and this, since then, this guy has just tr tr harassed me, done all, all, a bunch of crazy stuff in my life. Uh, and he's, uh, he's become Jake Paul's uh, fight manager, Jeff Y. Oh, really? Yeah, he's a complete, he's a clinical psychopath. Um, so there was that. That was one of the stories you asked me about. But he doesn't live here anymore, so life has become a little easier from that whole thing. Uh, the other one was, and I just talked to you about this before we did the podcast. I got hired a couple weeks ago to do the biggest bikini competition in the world. Mm -hmm. If you're any, if any of the P1s want to come out to Vegas, I can get them in, no problem. It's a slow day. Every Friday from April 24th until August 21st, we're going to do a $115,000 bikini competition at Wet Republic. Uh, and so if you guys, that's that's the that's the ultra pool next to the MGM. Do you want to give out your contact info so they yeah. don't? 
don't email just, me. Just the easiest way, <laughs> the easiest way to get a hold of me is Instagram. Just go at Michael Sartain or Twitter at Michael Sartain, just one word, or uh, you Facebook at Michael Sartain. That's the easiest way. I, I respond to that more than text messaging or email. I will respond if you message me on social media. That's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. And then the other one is I'm hosting an animal rescue in Los Angeles. If any of you guys are going to be there, that's going to be March 26th. Uh, hosting an animal rescue called Babes in Toyland Pet Edition, and it's just Maximum Playboy models, FHM models. They all come together and they uh, help raise money. FHM's for FHM's still going, huh? Right. <laughs> or, or, you know what? You know whatever. Uh, you know Playboy New Zealand or whatever the new thing is now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah we're going to do that uh, March 26th at Academy in Los Angeles, and then in May we're going to throw another animal rescue here in Las Vegas at On the Record inside of Park MGM. So if anybody out there wants to come to any of these events, you know just message me and it's 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 pretty easy to uh to get anybody in if you're in las vegas and you want to <clears throat> you want to go out and do stuff just uh just let me know and i'll i'll um if you don't want them you know the best uh, uh dispensaries i'll just forward you back to uh to tc because i don't know i can give you a more comprehensive list Cal- there yeah Calvin, it's a list of dispensaries. shout out to the bloom location on desert inn <laughs> like i said that was oh. a filming location casino was it? Are you as obsessed with casinos as I am? Well, you know, uh, Peppermill, they filmed in the Peppermill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Absolutely. So they, they filmed one of the, uh, the, wherever he gives her that diamond necklace or whatever, yeah. and like closes the thing on her. Like that, or no, that was, I'm sorry, that's uh, Pretty Woman. But when he gives her the, that necklace or whatever, they're sitting in the, the fire pit lounge in uh, Peppermill, which yeah. has been there for like 45 years or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Peppermill's fucking great. Yeah, but yeah, just hit me up on social media if, uh, if anybody wants to get a hold of me. Uh, one word at Michael Sartain. All right, man. Good talking to you. Good talking to you, man. That's it for tonight. The high school special is next, so until tomorrow. For everyone who's been a part of this one, I'm TC and Jake. We do thank you for watching. Good night.